Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Cholley. It's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick Maguire and I pause the action from the House of Commons to analyse in real time as Keir Starmer returns to grill Boris Johnson about you-know-what. And if you find yourself at a loose end at midday on a Wednesday, you can now watch along as we uh, now stream PMQ's Unpacked on the Times Radio YouTube channel. So go to YouTube, search Times Radio, subscribe so you don't miss anything, and then you can watch us live as we pause the comments action every Wednesday at midday. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can always catch up with it on the podcast, as you are doing right now. First, the columnist panel, and on a Wednesday, it is, of course, now Alibert. Yes, it's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. So we were asking, what what would Boris jo- what will Boris Johnson be doing in five years' time? Just to sort of throw things further into the future. Um, what do you think, Alice? Well, he might just have finished his Shakespeare book. Do we think ever? I mean, that's what started <laughs> the pandemic. He was writing it and then just I've didn't even think that. about. It. Yeah, I know that goes all the way back. And hopefully, not an editor, but I bet he gets a column back. Get a column. And that's what he wanted to do, doesn't he? So we're assuming he's not in number ten. I can't imagine it now, can you? I never thought that, that was assumed by the question. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? You know, the guy who won this shock landslide just over a year, two years ago, we're now assuming he's, he's definitely, what, so he doesn't lead the Tories into the next election? He might not lead the Tories into next week, <laughs> depending on what happens at PMQ. Yeah. I think Starmer's got a real problem, though, Keir Starmer, because it's such an open goal now, isn't yeah. it, that you yeah. go into PMQs and you've got this situation where you can't lose, and you can. It's you almost can. too and easy. It happens it's all the time. Every time we miss. talk about PMQs, yeah. we go back and revisit. The, particularly, I remember the number of times that you're like, Ed Miliband cannot muck this up. There's no yeah. David Cameron is in so much trouble on this. And then you come out and you just think, what the hell's going on? How's David Cameron turned that around? Although I do yeah. think David Cameron was better at it than, than Boris Johnson. Yeah. Keogh goes a bit sort of forensic and loyal, mm. loyally when he just needs to go completely populist and just be, just be uh, as it is like as simplistic as, as simplistic as possible yeah don't overthink he basically it. needs Angela Rayner to mm. write it for exactly. him. yeah Rayner would be better because yeah. her she obviously knew that Starman's going to be back today because her yeah. the thing that she did yesterday where she she read out these yeah. awful stories of people who didn't see loved ones who were dying yeah. and all that on May the 20th um, it's yeah. interesting though what do you where do you think it'll be um, in five years what? I don't know but it'll probably have something to do with cheese I imagine <laughs> I think it could be cheese-related. It could the, be the, the face che- of cheese. It could be the face of cheese. There'll be a cheese board. I see a cheese board in his future. Well, you could see a sort of quite American advert of him sort of spinning yeah. a big cheese board. Yeah. 
Who's yeah. the guy from Blur? Is it Alex James? Alex guy, James. Who went off to uh, do... Ch- well, I think, yeah, Boris could take over from him as some sort of cheese-related... You know, and I can see Carrie... <laughs> Cheesemonger. Sort of, cheese, yes, yeah. Cheesemongering. <laughs> I can see Carrie in that kind of role. Can you? you well, we're assuming they're still together in five years after he's left uh, down the street. Yeah, I think we have to be yeah. gracious about that. I think, I yeah. think if, as long as he goes, yeah. I think Carrie then, yeah. and him can go. There's something called cottage court for Carrie when you go to a lovely little cottage and you make cheese and yeah, it's you like, bake and she can wear her lovely long dresses. Exactly. And, it's all a bit 18th century, isn't it? It's, you know, kind of exile, internal exile, in cottage. You can wear a long dress as well. <laughs> pictures of with various cheeses. Honestly, we've had so pattern. many messages of what people think he's going to be doing. He's doing the tea trolley at the Tony Blair Institute. Uh, Greg says on the phone to his publisher trying to explain why the Shakespeare book still isn't finished. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is very good. Jonathan says, visiting the maternity ward. Lots of people suggesting he's going to be a presenter on Times Radio. I'm not sure he's got the skills to, no, no, not, no, to, no. to pull that off. I think the people no. suggesting GB News might be slightly more uh, slightly more accurate. Um, if we step back, and because uh, uh, somebody I saw tweeted this morning, Alice, saying uh, this is the most important PMQs since Westlands. Ooh, and yeah. uh, I, I look back at that, and actually that was in 1985, 86. 86 it yeah. was, yeah. And Margaret Thatcher went on and won a landslide in 87. So I'm not sure. Yeah. And also... I think the example they pulled wasn't actually a PMQs. We do get very excited about these yeah. moments, yeah. these huge moments. That's the yeah. problem. So I think there's too much invested in this. So I think actually it's not going to happen probably at PMQs. And the problem about Boris is that every time that he's up against something, he does smirk and it's the smirk that really irritates everyone. But most people aren't going to listen to PMQs or watch it or see that. They might get a clip of it. And I think Keir Starmer is going to find it very difficult to land many on him. And he will probably apologise in some form, Boris, yeah. to try and... <laughs> stave off his backbenchers. It will be interesting to see what the people behind him are doing. So all those Tory MPs are going to find this really excruciating. That's what's going to happen. Mm. They're then going to have to go back. And it's going to take a few days for that to filter back from their constituencies, from what they think, from the tea rooms. And and that that's going to be the crucial answer. It's not going to happen overnight, I don't think, unless he does something really disastrously stupid today. Westland was actually Michael Heseltine walking out of a cabinet meeting, wasn't it? Yeah. And, no, and then nobody really noticing. And that's about the... the very obscure issue of whether a helicopter was going to be built, <laughs> partially built in Yeovil. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, it's a big deal where yes. I'm yeah. from. We used to, that was a grown-up political argument, wasn't it? Yeah. And now we're arguing about cheese <laughs> and, and, and parties yeah. and... and yeah. yeah, yeah. And I can't see any of the cabinet at the moment Well, that's walking. the question. What, what, because, as we were discussing earlier... Um, you know, if this was a cabinet minister is in trouble, but, you know, ultimately the prime minister is the one who decides, you know, looked at the evidence, can we ride this out? Yeah. If not, you've got to go, take the sting out of it and all that. In order for the prime minister to go, he either needs to accept full responsibility and but, uh, do the right thing. Well, he's got to get rid it's of himself, really. That's not really his he's style. He's never taken but responsibility. Also, but also, he, Boris is capable of taking responsibility in words. But that wouldn't. But then, not necessessarily doing anything. Yeah, I mean, he could. He could. Per, I can perfectly foresee him issuing a grovelling apology and saying, or oh, you know, and doing that kind of act. But then he wouldn't. Get, it wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily meant. Mean He'd still he be there next week. Yeah. Right. He'd still be right. there. So then, the, so, so the, yeah. The, the, the way that it feels like the way this moves on beyond the usual suspects, Tory backbenchers saying he's got to, you know, he's not. So, is if the cabinet move, mm. and that's it feels like that's a long way off. Yet. And it won't be Sue Gray who's looking at the parties and who Boris right, Johnson's yeah. hiding behind the whole time, because actually she's a civil servant, so it's very difficult for her to actually come down and say this is unacceptable. But if she does issue a report that is really damaging, then it may be someone like Rishi Sunak who goes enough, or I can't see Liz Truss doing it. What is it but it's she... the old thing going back to Michael Hasselton, the old yeah. thing: he he who wields the knife doesn't wear the crown. And, indeed, and I wouldn't be surprised if. There's a, there's a world where I can see it. By the Sunday papers, we might be hearing that Liz Truss 
isn't happy or well, there was a little has bit of man- spoken to Boris Johnson and says he needs to yeah. clear things. Were, you know, a little bit of behind were, the scenes. There were beginnings of manoeuvrings before Christmas, weren't there? Yeah, I was. Uh, Sajid didn't refuse to come out and defend him on the on the studio round, didn't he? One uh, couple of weeks before Christmas, which I thought was quite significant. I think Sajid and- Javid's the most likely person to do it in some ways because he is quite honourable and he has yes. resigned before and he's come back. So he he, that, he came closest, I think, yeah. by, by doing that. I mean, that looked to yeah, me. Like yeah. that, and that's kind of, and, and also we're seeing in the paper that they're saying cabinet members speaking openly. Well, they're not speaking that openly, are they? I don't, I don't know what it means because I'm not. I've never been in the lobby, but it, does that mean that they're t- talking to lobby journalists? But I think saying, it might mean that the actual cabinet members have spoken to the journalists rather than their spat. I see. Right. I think that's Got probably you. in the right. strange world. There's probably a whole program in the strange code. Yes, I do, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so y- they will be texting. Right. But, but they won't be doing it to many people, and they will be. I mean, I, th- I, I think they are. They just don't know what to do, do they? If you're a cabinet minister now, some of them, like Priti Patel, is just so loyal that she'll yeah. keep going. And also, probably someone like Priti Patel knows that her best chance of she's remaining ba- as Home Secretary she's bound up with her him, only yeah. chance, is really. being lashed to Boris Johnson. Yeah. Uh, whereas you're right, Sajid Javid's an interest because mm. all the focus is on. And also, Sajid Javid probably knows that, because he still has leadership ambitions, that the yeah. way to get to that point is he has to do, you know. Rishi Sunak and Liz yeah. Truss are in a better position. So to try and leapfrog over them, taking a principal stand... He needs, to take, he needs to take a risk, whereas they need they would calculate that the, the risk wasn't quite worth taking. Yeah, yeah. let yeah. someone else... Uh, and yeah. also, he's not involved in the same way with Boris Johnson as the rest of them are, because he did leave and then yeah, come yeah. back again. Yeah. And actually, he's he has always maintained some sort of distance, which I think probably is going to benefit him now. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. All eyes on Sajid Javid. That's a, right. Good. Right. We'll write that down. Keep an eye on him. Uh, uh, Alice, let's talk about farmers. Because it's sort of the government trying to sort of get, like, at least last week, tried to get back on the front foot. You know, we've had cladding, we've had a new policy on rewilding, trying to do the work of government. It's all been a bit overshadowed now. But if people um, weren't across it, explain the, the, this idea of rewilding and the role of farmers in that. So, rewilding in a way is an excellent idea because, you know, we are depleted in Britain. We haven't got. Um, all sorts of animals, birds, you know, flora, fauna has disappeared. So we desperately need to do something. But the idea of rewilding has now become unbelievably contentious, which is extraordinary <laughs> because it sounds such a lovely word. But it is a lot of big landowners and people like Ed Sheeran who've become involved and Leonardo DiCaprio. So it's very odd that it's become this sort of incredibly kind of cool but also um, rich term for buying up estates around Britain and then putting them, you know, almost creating a kind of Disneyland for yourself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that actually they're not going to be shared. And the problem is there are farmers on that land. And so I think what I felt is very strongly is that we've forgotten about the people involved. And Leonardo has this brilliant bit there when he, go, he starts talking about indigenous peoples and he wants them to help too, <laughs> which actually we would call farmers. But, yeah, you know, just... He's obviously never met one. And you know, so, so you think... That what I feel is that we really need to get the farmers on side and they should be the ones doing the rewilding. So they should be able to farm, which is crucial because we do still need to produce some food and mm-hmm. we won't if it's all rewilded. Well, that was an interesting point because I spoke to um, uh, my uncle who's a farmer and to ask him exactly about it because we were supposed to have George Eustace on last week and he, he rewilded himself and just disappeared. <laughs> um, and he was making that point that if we, in terms of the environmental thing, growing more of our own food rather than importing it 
seems to be a sensible thing to pursue. But yeah. we can't be doing that if we're also rewilding all the land that would have otherwise... You know, if we, if we reach the point where we've rewilded the land so we then have to import the food we would have otherwise grown, that strikes me as a... Which is insane, really, because yeah. that's against every point, because then you're going to have to you know, go to other countries and expect them yeah. to suffer the same problems that we have. So I think what you need to do is say to the farmers, and a lot of them are quite on board now, and they're beginning to get more and more interested in it, in that you can actually have these regenerative farms that are carbon neutral actually even carbon positive and you can also produce food it's just a balance really but if you cut farmers out of it i can't really see who's going to be looking after the countryside apart from you know singers and actors and <laughs> terrifying I mean, they're all just but you know putting up big fences so they can see some deer when they get up in the morning so that's the problem as well is that no one else is going to be allowed to see it yeah so that you're going to be stopped from walking across the countryside in quite large areas and that's already happened in scotland it's been very difficult because you know scotland has been bought up by yeah. the you know super rich all around the world the other thing about this this mm. whole scheme robert and i think yeah. it hasn't really been focused on hugely is that when we were in the eu the farm subsidies came across and yeah. the uk government could only spend that money on farmers yeah and, you know, they were just involved in, in the process was, of dishing it out. It was hypothecated, yeah. Now, now it's, not. it's in just the general pot. And you do yeah. wonder at what point, you know, when there's a big election row about yeah. money for the NHS or money for welfare, mm. who comes for this pot first? And farmers, quite a lot of farmers, not all of yeah. but quite a lot of farmers liked Brexit because they thought this was going to mean we could yeah. stand on our own two feet. But some of that Someone money yeah. isn't ring-fenced permanently forever. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, the NFU used to be like the big, the, the, this, this amazing kind of cast iron lobby for the Tory party, and now it's fallen. It must be the lobby who's lost the most power yeah. in the last forty or fifty years because it was, it was a, it was a taken as read that it was like the Brewers. You know that that was the, they had the ear of the Tory party, and now farmers are, as opposed to landowners, farmers are generally you say twenty six thousand pounds a year average yeah. income. Uh, you start to feel sorry for farmers. What I don't feel sorry for landowners at all. Uh, but for, we we need to make make the distinction between the two, I think, because landowners are often you know celebrities or or just aristocrats. Mm. I mean, the list of landowners in Britain has not changed that much over a hundred years. It's amazing if you look at the stats. I mean, the top ten, uh, five of them are the same people. Yeah, I mean, or the same yeah, yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Duke so and so, especially in Scotland. Uh, and actually, what whereas, you've seen a lot is um, uh, councils selling off farms that they you know yeah. count, used yeah. to be like county estates. And they've all been bought up by hedge fund managers, and all. Yeah, you know, they're now the landlords. Yeah, well, see, everyone farmers. forgets that a lot of the farmers, well, nearly a third of them, are actually tenant farmers. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah, own their I'm, own land. So that's they can't sell it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's real. And so, yeah. particularly in places like Devon, Yorkshire, you've, you've got a totally different structure where they can't sell anything. They're making yeah. less than twenty six thousand, most of them. Yeah, and they don't own anything, so they can't just leave. They're, you know, they're actually, the only thing they can do is hand it on to the next generation. Yeah. And they've yeah. been completely ignored by the government. who don't seem to notice they're there. And there was a really yeah. interesting. Was, I think it was in was it in Tim Shipman's piece in the Sunday Times. He was talking about the Labour Party and how. They're trying to really focus on these particular seats and all of that. And I think there was a suggestion that Luke Pollard, who's an MP in Plymouth, had been moved from the environmental brief because he'd he'd done quite a good job of basically winning over farmers and getting in with yeah. the NFU. Yeah. There was, there's no farmers in the seats that we need to... And so you sort of wonder, yeah. well, where's the, where, is, where are the farmers that... Where are they getting that voice? Because if they're well, not exactly. in the Tories, the Labour Party rural, aren't interested. No, and rural poverty... I mean, Cornwall, Cornwall as we know, is the poorest county in yeah. England. And... Uh, I think somewhere like Herefordshire, a very ag- agricultural place, not far far behind. There's a big problem of rural poverty, and and it's uh, it's unseen. I mean, if you think the average inner city estate is unseen, which it is, then it's it's even less visible in. Uh, in the, in the, yeah, in the, yeah, yeah. In the middle and at of the same time, we're obsessed by the countryside now. So there's so yeah. many yeah. books on 
the country. <laughs> so, you know, everyone really, yeah. particularly after lockdown, everyone really wants green spaces. Yeah. So actually you can say to the farmers, you know, we're going to subsidise you to do this more. And George used to start it, but in fact, what he needs to do is go to the smallest farmers yeah. and say to them, look, the, you're the ones that need help. I mean, there's no point in giving it to these huge estates, really, because they should be able to support themselves. Exactly, exactly right. We're talking of unseen in the, in the rural areas. Rishi Sunak has just tweeted that he is in Ilfracombe in Devon. Oh, which means, uh, as, as the P- as the Press Association reports, the journey from there to Parliament would take more than four hours by car, <laughs> suggesting he may not be in the chamber to support right. Boris Johnson at PMQs. And it's got the Damien Hurst there, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It's quite, it's quite nice. Mm. It's nice, Ilfracombe. He says he was excited to be in the town with the uh, North Devon MP, Selene Saxby. So there we are. Wish when did he think he decided to go there? <laughs> He looks at a timetable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like John Major with his tooth. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. toothache. Yeah, Joy, exactly. exactly. Ilfacombe will become famous now for it. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first. It's all happening in Ilfacombe. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there. And, of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Matt Chorley bringing you PMQ's Unpacked here on Times Radio. We'll pause the action to explain what is going on, but let's go straight to the House of Commons. Before we do, I want to remind everybody... The Prime Minister's question... I would like to point out that the British Sign Language interpretation of proceedings is available to watch on Parliament Live TV. We start with Prime Minister's questions. Dr James Davies. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I know that the whole House will want to join me in paying tribute to Jack Dromey. His working life was devoted to his trade union members and, in recent years, his constituents in Birmingham and Erdington. 
I was deeply saddened to hear of his death, and my thoughts are with Harriet and the family and all those who knew him as a friend. Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I know that millions of people across this country have made extraordinary sacrifices over the last 18 months. I know the anguish that they have been through, unable to mourn their relatives, unable to live their lives as they want or to do the things they love. And I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself the rules are not being properly followed by the people who make the rules. And though I cannot anticipate the conclusions of the current inquiry, I have learned enough to know that there were things we simply did not get right. And I must take responsibility. Number 10 is a big department with the garden as an extension of the office, which has been in constant use because of the role of fresh air in stopping the virus. And when I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May 2020 to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working, I believed implicitly that this was a work event. But Mr Speaker, with hindsight, I should have sent everyone back inside. I should have found some other way to thank them. And I should have recognised that even if it could be said technically to fall within the guidance, there would be millions and millions of people who simply would not see it that way, people who suffered terribly, people who were forbidden from meeting loved ones at all, inside or outside. And to them and to this House, I offer my heartfelt apologies. And all I ask is that Sue Gray be allowed to complete her inquiry into that day and several others so that the full facts can be established. And I would, of course, come back to this House and make a statement. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. OK, well, let's jump in there, as we do here on PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick Maguire, a full apology there from Boris Johnson. Further, further than we were expecting? Yes. I mean, quite the journey, that, wasn't it? To start with, I thought there was a gap between the tone, i.e. uncharacteristically sombre, from Boris Johnson. When he started talking about uh, fresh air circulating and Number 10's ambiguous status as a house, uh, a rambling, ramshackle government department uh, with a garden that was at once an office space and uh, a conventional domestic garden. I thought, hang on, here come the excuses. But then he preempted those with something quite close to a full apology. It'd be interesting to see how Keir Starmer now plays this, because as you say, he's gone much further. And also, it. crucially, given given his reluctance to do so fo- so far, for the first time, Boris Johnson has confirmed he went to a lockdown-breaking party in the Downing Street Garden. Uh, he says uh, he believed that this was a work event, uh, but with hindsight, he should have gone back and sent everyone back inside. So there we are. That's uh, Boris Johnson uh, saying he, he wants to apologise to the nation, understanding the rage, I think, the anguish, he said at one point, that uh, people uh, are suffering from. Uh, obviously try to take the sting out of what Keir Starmer's got to say. So we can now go to the House of Commons. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I join with the 
uh, comments about Jack Dromey, uh, we will, I think, be doing tributes uh, in due course in relation to Jack. Well, there we have it. After months of deceit and deception, the pathetic spectacle of a man who's run out of road. His defence, his defence that he didn't realise he was at a party. <laughs> it, it, it is so ridiculous that it's actually offensive to the British public. He's finally been forced to admit what everyone knew, that when the whole country was locked down, he was hosting boozy parties in Downing Street. Is he now going to do the decent thing and resign? Let's just jump in there, Patrick. This is the first time that Keir Starmer's called for Boris Johnson to resign. Exactly. This week has been very significant in terms of Labour's messaging. They've done two things for the first time. One, they're calling Boris Johnson a liar repeatedly. And I put this to a senior member of Keir Starmer's inner circle yesterday. And they said, well, we finally crossed the line. The public can now be convinced. There's incontrovertible evidence. You know, this isn't um, a story from his traineeship at the Times or his affair with Passionella Wyatt. It is a material falsehood that he's told the British people that will, uh, you know, the, the phrase James Johnson used um, in the Times this morning, a flash of anger. People will all be feeling that. And the second one, as you say, resignation. And why is he saying that? Well, because there is considerable, or there was this morning, considerable political pressure on the Tory benches. And the interesting question is, has Boris Johnson's apology taken the sting, you know, released some of the pressure from his own benches. And the calculation that Keir Starmer will have made is you don't go around asking for people to resign all the time, partly because it loses currency, but also that tends to shore them up. And he clearly thinks that Boris Johnson is now so exposed, having, to, having just admitted that he was at this party. Um, and as he pointed out, um, he's the only person in the world who didn't realise he was at a party. Pathetic. I mean, it's proper strong language. Deceit, deception, pathetic, ridiculous. Uh, so that was... Um, Keir Starmer asks Boris Johnson if he's going to resign. Uh, what's Boris Johnson's answer? I think somebody will be going for an early cup of tea as well. Can I just say, the question's been asked. I want to know the answer. Your constituents want to know the answer. I don't need any extra help either. So please, Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I I, I appreciate the... Uh, the, the point that he's making about the, the event that I, uh, I attended. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to repeat that uh, I thought it was a, a work event. And, and Mr Speaker, uh, I, 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 regret, I regret very much, I regret very much that we did not do things differently uh, that evening. And Mr Speaker, as I've said, and I take responsibility and I apologise, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, but as for, as for his, uh, his political point, I don't think that he should uh, preempt the outcome of the inquiry. And he, uh, he, will have, he will have a further opportunity, Mr Speaker, I hope, uh, to question me as soon as possible. Well, he didn't rule out that he was going to resign. He didn't rule it out. He just dismisses it as a political point. The trouble with these politicians, they do keep making um, political points. They keep doing politics. Um, uh, to some extent, a huge moment there. We've had two big moments. Boris Johnson apologising, admitting he was at this party... Keir Starmer has called for him to resign. He's got five questions left. Uh, can he keep up the momentum, do you think? I think he... Now, if you, if you pardon the pun, he labours the point. Um, <laughs> I understand that at some point in this sequence of questions, he's probably likely to um, lay it on quite thick with stories of 
the bereaved of the kind we heard in yeah. the Commons yesterday uh, uh, for the debate the Prime Minister didn't turn up to. Um, so there's still plenty of road to run, but they've, they've both got their clips for tonight's bulletins. Uh, you can go online, you can watch uh, the exchanges live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. You can see Patrick and I as well, if that's your thing. Uh, loads of you are posting uh, comments to it. Uh, uh, a day late and a dollar short, says someone. How much more could, could, how much more could Boris apologise? He's not going to resign. Uh, it's, it's astonishing, says someone else. Uh, um, uh, there you go, he's apologised. Let's move on, says someone. Every answer is Sue Gray. Uh, so if you want to uh, let us know what you think of it, go to uh, the Times Radio YouTube channel where you can watch the exchange. There's an awful lot of head shaking and uh, shouting going on in the comments too. Let's go back to this question number two from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Well, that apology was pretty worthless, wasn't it? Yeah. Let me tell him why this matters. Yesterday in this chamber, honourable members told heart-wrenching stories about the sacrifices people across the country were making. This house and the whole country were moved by the Honourable Member for Transtrangford as he talked about his mother-in-law dying alone. He was following the rules. Whilst the Prime Minister was parting in Downing Street, is the Prime Minister really so contemptuous of the British public that he thinks he can just ride this out? Mr Speaker, I, I, I heard... Uh, the testimony of the, the honourable member opposite, and I and I and I, I share, I echo his uh, his sentiments. It was it was deeply moving. Nobody who heard that uh, could fail uh, to have been moved. And I know that people up and down the country have made huge sacrifices throughout this pandemic, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I understand the anger, the rage that they feel at the thought that uh, that, that people in Downing Street were not following those rules. I, 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 regret, I regret the way uh, the event I have described uh, was handled. I bitterly uh, regret it and wish that we could have done things differently. And I have uh, and will continue to apologise for what we did. But, Mr Speaker, he must wait uh, for the uh, inquiry, which will report as soon as possible. OK, let's just pause uh, that there. Um, Patrick McGuire, the th- thing that immediately springs to mind, 8th of December, when we had the first lot of party allegations... Boris Johnson said in the House of Commons, I repeat that I've been repeatedly assured since these allegations emerged that there was no party and no COVID rules were broken. He's now admitted that there was a party because he was at it. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's Uh, a different party because there are quite a few of these at stake. But, um, you know, this is the sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with sort of points of order and people demanding that he correct the record. No, exactly. And if there are... If there are any substance to the allegation that he's misled the House of Commons, it puts him in a very tricky position. And it puts a lot of Tory MPs who have made that their bar uh, for his resignation in a tricky position. Or it puts them in, they, they, they simply have to go through their threat to call him resign. He's, he's left a little bit of wiggle room there, though. Interesting use of the uh, first person plural when he said we. I don't think it was the royal we. Um, <laughs> he's still talking about the team. Uh, the team. Yeah. Uh, and there isn't much taking of personal responsibility or the book stopping with Boris Johnson personally, despite the very sombre tone he's taking here. Uh, different messages coming in. Somebody saying, Boris validates what I said. It was not a party. It was not illegal. I mean, I'm not sure that's uh, will be the view that lots take. Uh, Monty's saying, he didn't apologise for being at the party. He didn't realise that it was a party. He apologised for not dispersing the work gathering. Now it's back to Sue Gray. Well, for now, it's back to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister's former Health Secretary broke the rules, 
He resigned. Yes. And the Prime Minister said he was right Matt to Hancock. do so. When the Prime Minister's spokesperson laughed about the rules being broken, she resigned. That's a leg And the Prime Minister accepted that resignation. Why does the Prime Minister still think that the rules don't apply to him? Well, Mr Speaker, that's not what I've said. And I, 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 understand, I understand the point that he, uh, that he makes. Uh, I, as I've said, Mr Speaker, I uh, regret... Uh, the way things happened on the evening in question, uh, and I apologise, but if I may say to him, I do think it would be better if he waited until the full conclusion of the inquiry, until the full facts are brought uh, before this House, Mr Speaker, and he will then have an opportunity uh, to put his points again. I mean, he's trying to just get through this, isn't he, Boris Johnson? It's not, you know, he's not... Um, this might be the first one we get through without any reference to the European Medicines Agency or Vac- Captain Vaccination Heiser. and vacillation, yeah. yeah. He just knows he's just got to just take his medicine today. Yes, but, I mean, this in microcosm will be the tactic he and Number 10 employ for the next week, fortnight, however long it takes for Sue Gray to, to report. Right, This is a ready-made stock answer for whoever faces stig and asthma tomorrow. Uh, whichever poor cabinet minister is up. Uh, you imagine Gillian Keegan's phone might be ringing <laughs> this evening, right? They will say, oh, the Prime Minister rightly apologised yesterday and, of course, it would be wrong for us to prejudge anything Sue Gray says. I don't think that's going to wash, given but, but the also, scale that of anger. But also, that is what Boris Johnson did on Monday, when he literally laughed about uh, when he was asked, you know, were you at the party? And he laughed and said, that's a question for Sue Gray. He's now confirmed he was there. He kn- He knew the law because he passed the law. And he was there. So I'm not sure quite what Sue Gray's role is anymore, counting volivants. Especially because they seem to have, you know, second-guessed what Sue Gray is going to say. That's a very, you know, unlike most of Boris Johnson's speeches, you can tell he did not write that himself. There was lots of legally precise language, i.e., you know, technically not in breach of the rules, but acknowledging the broader public sentiment. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if... Uh, a senior civil servant such as Sue Gray had written that. In another world, Sue Gray wrote that <laughs> statement. But anyway. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's uh, see how uh, Kiss Tarver gets on now. Question number four. This just isn't working, Prime Minister. No. No. Everyone could see what happened. Exactly. It started with reports of boozy parties in Downing Street during lockdown. The Prime Minister pretended that he had been assured there were no parties. Yeah. How that fits with this defence out, I do not know. Exactly. Then the video landed, blowing the Prime Minister's first defence out of the water. So then he pretended, he pretended, he was sickened and furious about the parties. Now it turns out he was at the parties all along. Can't the Prime Minister see why the British public think he's lying through his teeth? Yeah. Prime Minister, it, it was what the public think, not what a member is saying. Uh, just to be clear, what uh, Tory MPs there are pointing out is in the House of Commons you can't accuse someone of being a liar. Keir Starmer has very cleverly worded that to say that the public think he's been lying through his teeth, which is a exactly. very subtle difference. Using his loyally wiles to uh, <laughs> get around the standing orders. I did think that was, that was a question I was going to pose at the start of this session. How will Keir Starmer square Labour's very belligerent 
public messaging with the rules of the chamber. They've done it very artfully there. Uh, yeah, while Keir Starmer was uh, socking it to him there, um, uh, you've got Dominic Raab on one side and Liz Truss on the other side of Boris Johnson. It's a good job Liz Truss is wearing a mask. I'm sure she's licking her lips at the <laughs> predicament the Prime Minister finds himself in. Rishi Sunak, unfortunately, isn't at PMQs because he's found he's himself in Ilfracoom, which is <laughs> yeah. lo- lovely at this time of year. Uh, let's go back to the covers. Order. And I certainly don't need any help from round here. If somebody wants to help me, they can help somewhere else. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, it's, it's up to the, the right honourable gentleman to choose how he uh, conducts himself in this, uh, in this place. Uh, and he's wrong. He's, he's wrong. Uh, I, 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 say to him, I say to him that he is Keir wrong... Keir has got his head in his hands uh, there. He is wrong in what he said in... in, in he said what he is wrong in, in what he said is wrong in several key respects, but Mr. Speaker, that does not detract from the uh, the, the basic point that I want to make today, which is, which is that I I accept that we should have done things differently on that evening. I, as I as I've said to the House, I believe that the events in question were within the guidance and were within the rules, and that was certainly the assumption on which I operated. But can I say to to him, Mr. Speaker, that he should wait. He should wait uh, you know, before he jumps to conclusions, Mr. Speaker. And a, a lawyer should respect the the, the, uh, the inquiry. Uh, I, I hope that he will wait until the facts are established and brought to this house. Oh, let's just jump in there. Um, it, now, there's an interesting discrepancy appearing here, uh, Patrick McGuire. Um, Keir Starmer keeps referring to events and parties, plural. Boris Johnson is still referring to the evening, the event. He's not conceding any other parties. No, he's he's. It's not an apology for uh, a culture of late night drinking. He is apologising while at the same time, sort of insisting it was within the rules. He wasn't personally culpable. It was a work event. Oh, hadn't all these people worked awfully hard? Um. So yeah, there is there is a, there is a big there is a big gap there, and I think that gap might be a pitfall for the Prime Minister because the anger is clearly broader and more uh, at this point more amorphous right than simply being about this party this may have lit the kindling but um, and uh, Boris Johnson saying you know a lawyer should respect uh, the inquiry process the, and he says that he felt it didn't breach the rules so that clearly he's hoping or maybe he knows that Sue Gray is going to conclude that yes there was a gathering but no it didn't breach the rules you know, um, in, uh, in exactly. you know, by precise detail, you know, but in spirit, well, people around the country weren't seeing people, weren't going to work, but only, you know, only able to meet one other person outdoors. That's completely different to what was going on in the garden of number 10. Yeah, exactly. Right. N- nurses weren't able to go outside hospitals and have a knees up at the end <laughs> of a long shift. As much as people wouldn't have begrudged them at the time, I'm well, exactly sure. right, exactly. Well, they're probably too tight. Uh, right, um, that was uh, question number four. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. This PMQ's unpacked here on Times Radio, where we pause the action to explain what's going on. You can watch along on the Times Radio YouTube channel, uh, where you can also post your comments. And uh, Glenn's just said, if Boris Johnson topples, it will not be due to Keir Starmer. Well, let's see if Keir Starmer has more success with question number five. But, Mr. Speaker, so we've got the Prime Minister attending Downing Street parties, a clear breach of the rules. We've got the Prime Minister putting forward a series of ridiculous denials which he knows are untrue. A clear breach of the Ministerial Code. 
that code says ministers who knowingly mislead Parliament yeah. will be expected to offer their resignation. Yeah. 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 The party's over, Prime Minister. The only question is, will the British public kick him out, will his party kick him out, or will he do the decent thing and resign? Yeah. 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 Mr Speaker, I, I, I just want to repeat that I think that the uh, right honourable gentleman, I, and I, I know that his, it is his ob objective and he's paid to try to remove me from office, uh, Mr Speaker, and I, I appreciate that and I, and I accept that, but may I humbly suggest to him uh, that he should, he should wait until... Uh, the inquiry has concluded. Uh, he should study it uh, for himself, and uh, I will certainly respond as appropriate, uh, and I hope that he does. But in the meantime, uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I certainly wish uh, that things had happened differently on the evening of May the 20th, uh, Mr Speaker, and I apologise for all the misjudgments uh, that have been made, for which I take, Mr Speaker, full responsibility. Pierre Starmer. I apologise for all the mistakes, all of the mistakes to be made and take full responsibility. Again, it's, it's that drawing a deliberate technical distinction between errors of judgment, which he can apologise for now and get ahead of the negative publicity and give um, those Tory MPs still shameless enough to be loyal, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and taking the, the, the payroll soup, as it were, to uh, give them political cover and what Sue Gray will adjudicate on. Her terms of reference say she is meant to judge on whether whatever gathering was in breach of whatever guidance was in place at the time. And clearly that is the bit number 10 are contesting, even though the uh, their disputing of it was buried very deep within that <laughs> apology. Uh, and it's also clearly, given Boris Johnson's gambit here, what they think will get them off the hook if they can withstand the political pressure. And that's the outstanding question. Just, yeah, just try to, it does feel like an exercise to just try to get through things. Uh, keep your messages uh, coming in. Great to watch Boris squirming on your YouTube channel, says someone on Twitter. Has Matt surely been promised a bonus if he gets Boris Johnson to resign? He's lost all semblance of balance. No, if only, if only, frankly. No bonuses here. We're just looking to get paid at all. Uh, you can keep watching on our on the on the YouTube channel. This is the the last exchange. Then uh, this, I assume, I mean the the call to resign is probably a big moment for for Keir Starmer. But generally, the last question is the one he sort of aims squarely at the news bulletins tonight. Let's see if he's got anything else up his sleeve. The Prime Minister's a man without shame. Yeah. The public want answers to their questions. Yeah. Hannah Brady's father, Sean was just 55 when he lost his life to COVID. He was a fit and healthy key worker. I spoke to Hannah last night, Prime Minister. Her father died just days before the drinks trolley was being wheeled through Downing Street. And last year, Hannah met the Prime Minister in the Downing Street garden. She looked at the Prime Minister in the eye and told him of her loss. The Prime Minister told Hannah He'd done everything he could to protect her dad. Looking back, what Hannah told me last night was this. She realises that the Prime Minister had parted in that same garden the very day her, dead, her dad's death certificate was signed. What Hannah wants to know is this. Does the Prime Minister understand why it makes her feel sick to think about the way that he's behaved? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I sympathise deeply with, uh, with Hannah, with people who have suffered up and down this country uh, during the pandemic, and I repeat uh, that I wish things had been done differently on that evening, 
uh, Mr. Speaker, and I, I repeat my apology for all the misjudgments that may have been made that were made uh, on my watch uh, in Number 10 and across a government. But I want to, to reassure the people of this country, including Hannah and, and her family, uh, that, Mr. Speaker, we have been working to do everything we can to protect her and her family. And it is thanks to the efforts of this government uh, that we have the most tested population in Europe, with 1.25 million tests being conducted every day. We've been working to ensure that this population, our country, has the most antivirals of any uh, country in, in Europe. And, Mr Speaker, it's because of the efforts of the government, of officials, of staff up and down Whitehall, that we've driven the fastest vaccine rollout in uh, Europe, uh, one of the fastest in the world. And that is the reason, Mr Speaker, that we now have one of the most open economies, if not the most open economy in Europe, uh, and one of the, the fastest growing economy, Mr Speaker, in the G7. And, Mr Speaker, whatever the mistakes that have been made on my watch, for which I, I apologise and which I fully acknowledge, that is the work, Mr Speaker, that has been going on in Number 10 Downing Street. Uh, we'll cut away then while the uh, the backbench uh, uh, questions take place. If there are, we'll bring you some more of those uh, a bit later on. Patrick Maguire, how secure is Boris Johnson now as Prime Minister compared to 25 minutes ago? Um, I'm not convinced he has seen off the immediate danger at all. Mainly because, well, we're yet to see what the public make of that apology for... Uh, well, you know, if, you, if you're being uncharitable, it's an apology for being caught. Uh, if you're being generous to the Prime Minister, it's an apology for um, a culture of rule-breaking, neither of which uh, are going to cut much muster with a public which the, who the Prime Minister acknowledges are feeling angry, if not vengeful, uh, at the moment. And it remains to be seen whether that's convinced Conservative MPs. I'm not entirely sure it will have done. And... Uh, it was notable in that last exchange, Boris Johnson did slip into, a, you know, the slightly usual record about uh, we vaccinate. You know, in fact, it, it was slightly repetitive. He went round in circles a bit, I think, because he wasn't quite building the cheers that he wanted. But uh, the most tested in Europe, the most vaccinated in Europe, uh, more antivirals than anyone else, fastest growing this and that in the G7, um, and trying to make the point that people working hard in Number 10 uh, have d helped to deliver all of this. I'm not sure that's going to cut must because it was possible to do all that without then having a knees up in the garden. No, exactly. And all we're hearing about, you know, number ten is no is an opaque place. Westminster is an opaque world for uh, people who tune into politics at the top of the hour on Radio Two or indeed Virgin Radio. Uh, and all they know of number ten at the moment is that it's a place where people drink late into the night when they're not supposed to. Um, and I don't think, you know, the, you know, I don't think it's going to cut muster with the public. It might cut muster with Tory MPs, but equally, we both know these are people who are acutely conscious of any uh, tremor in public opinion, particularly the new Tory MPs in Labour-facing constituencies who have narrow majorities and haven't experienced this before. They, they haven't experienced this onslaught yeah, that they're exactly. getting in their, in their and inboxes. And also, they, they, they feel none of the conventional fealty or loyalty to the Prime Minister that first-term MPs yeah. usually do. That's very obvious at this point. Uh, loads of comments on the on the YouTube channel. Uh, he's admitted going to one party. How many? I wonder how many of the other ten or more parties he also attended, says Paul. 
Um, Melanie says, I'm furious with Boris. I feel very sorry for the lady losing her dad, but the party had no bearing on the death of her father. It's a waste of a question. Starmer just sounds whingy more than anything. Uh, Keir Starmer really disappointed today, says someone else. Uh, lots of you liking the YouTube channel, though, uh, which is nice. Uh, right, let's go. We're going to have to do it again now. Uh, uh, let's go back to... We're going to have to get dressed up properly every Wednesday now. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. We can hear from the SNP leader in Westminster, Ian Blackford. In the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I add my uh, remarks in terms of Jack Dromey, someone who was a festy fighter for workers' rights and an inspiration to so many of us across this House for the way that he conducted himself. We will miss him and condolences to Harriet and to the rest of the family. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister stands before us accused of betraying the nation's trust, of treating the public with contempt, of breaking the laws set by his own government. A former member of Her Majesty's Armed Forces, Paul, wrote to me this morning. His father died without the love and support of his full family around him because they followed the regulations, Prime Minister. Paul said, as an ex-soldier, I know how to follow the rules, but the Prime Minister has never followed any rules. He does what he wants and he gets away with it every time. The Prime Minister can't get away with it again. Will the Prime Minister finally do the decent thing and resign, or will his Tory MPs be forced to show him the door? Prime Minister. Well, I, I thank the right honourable gentleman, but I must, I, and I, I want to offer my condolences to, uh, to his constituent who wrote to him, and uh, just to, to remind him of, of what I've, I've, I've said earlier. And uh, with the greatest respect to him, I think that he should wait until the inquiry has concluded. Ian Black. Let's pause that uh, there. What do you think it is, Patrick Maguire, that Boris Johnson thinks is going to come out in this report from Sue Gray, which is going to in some way take the heat out of this? I think he is gambling, and you saw this, you saw the first shoots of this in the way he phrased his description of the party, i.e., after work drinks or a, a, you know, a, a sort of constellation of work meetings. I think he thinks, and this was always likely, that Sue Gray is going to say these things may have been ill-judged, but because of the unique nature and constitutional status of government buildings, we cannot say for certain that they breached the guidance. And, you know, it will be for him to put a spin on that, saying, yes, it was misjudged, but the technicality will be, OK, I didn't oversee any law-breaking. Uh, perhaps some individual civil servants will need to be disciplined. There might be a symbolic cull of my Downing Street in a circle, but I can present myself as the person who took on the chin and moved on. So we've heard from Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party. We've heard from uh, uh, Ian Blackford from the SNP. Now let's hear from an Alliance MP from Northern Ireland. This is Stephen Fowey. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Today's apology is too little, too late. If the Prime Minister was sincere, he could have apologised at any stage over the past 18 months, rather than waiting until he was found out. My constituents in North Down and people across the UK feel betrayed by the Prime Minister. We have had over over, um, 150,000 deaths from COVID uh, over the past couple of years. We have seen standards in public life trashed. So for once, 
Can the Prime Minister do the honourable thing and resign for the sake of the public health message and for standards in our democracy? Mr Speaker, I I, I can only repeat what I have said, and I I understand uh, the feelings he has about the effect of this pandemic on on this country, and I I certainly grieve for everybody uh, who has died and who who has suffered. Uh, But on his his political point, uh, can I propose that he he waits uh, for the inquiry to report? Wait for the inquiry, wait for the inquiry. Wait for the inquiry is the new... um... (laughs) It's the new uh, Ministroni. Yes. Um, it feels significant that every single opposition MP is calling for the Prime Minister to resign. And the dangerous thing, when we next get a poll of voting intentions, Tory MPs will see that Boris Johnson, in all likelihood, that Boris Johnson's apology hasn't cut ice and that a majority of the public are endorsing parties that are calling for his head. And that will clearly have an impact on the decisions they make about the political direction of the Conservative Party and who should lead it. There was something about, we've talked a lot about, you know, with the Labour Party banged on a lot about refurbishing the flat and wallpaper. That was a bit complicated. And when you try to follow the money around the the, the graphics to try and explain what, you know, that was quite complicated. Who got contracts when there's arguing. This is just such a straightforward thing that while the whole country was in lockdown, Boris Johnson went to a party in his garden. Everyone can understand that. He, he lied about it. He's now uh, fessed up to it. In terms of striking right at the heart of his credibility and the Conservatives' uh, election prospects, if we start seeing big shifts in polls, that's really going to pile pressure on, isn't it, from Tory MPs? Yes, it really will. And, yeah, of course of, of course, it will. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Although uh, Tory MPs so far, it has to be said, loads and loads of criticism from opposition benches. Uh, Tory MPs so far, um, uh, going for other things. There's one Tory MP up now talking about the uh, discovery of some fossils. They've talked about the BBC. Uh, this is the uh, MP Suzanne Webb. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I recently visited my local job centre and I'm absolutely <laughs> pleased to announce that the adult claim account is down 28%. The young adult claimant count is down 40%. Will the Prime Minister join me in thanking all the hard work of the Starbridge Job Centre for their dedication to actually achieve these results and also to contribute to the jobs revival that's happening across the West Midlands? 61,000 new jobs since March 2021. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't even need to hear the answer to that. There's clearly Tory MPs have been put up, Patrick McGuire, to just ask about anything at all. Yeah, and, well, you know... Hearing a Tory MP talk about the employment market um, is, a, is <laughs> one, is something I, I don't want to do this afternoon. But two, it's a reminder of the story Boris Johnson will be telling himself, which is, oh, you know, real decent people in, uh, you know, Red Walls. Well, Starbridge isn't quite the Red Wall, but, you know, good, earthy West Midlands places like Starbridge really care about uh, their jobs and uh, the cost of living. Um, not that the t- Tories are doing anything about that either. Uh, they don't care about what happened two years ago. That'll be that'll be what the prime minister is saying. So they do serve one. Uh, it fills airtime, and two, it, uh, the, you know, it's a reminder of what the prime minister will want to be hearing and what he'll be telling himself. But I mean, the the, the, the fundamental one of the other fundamental problems is summed up on the front of the Times today. You've got say sorry or doom us all. Ministers tell Johnson, I and mean, he has at least done that. But the story on the top: Britain leads the Northern Hemisphere in outpacing pandemic. That's what he ought to be able to bang on about it. Well, uh, and, 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 he tried, and, he, and he tried, and he tried to, the end. but it's not, it's not washing, is it? It's not getting the credit. It's, it's interesting. 
you know, the um, uh, the focus group we did this week, people gave him the you know, benefit of the doubt, got through the pandemic. You know, it had been difficult for any government. But this just the, just the problem is telling a story about the that is those two two stories are part of the same continuum. Yeah, uh, and we all choose when we tell an anecdote which bit to which bit to emphasise. You know, if we're telling a story about a night out, you probably don't mention the. The kebab at the end, uh, <laughs> which ironically is what Boris Johnson is 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 is, is trying to uh, is trying to emphasise. Like, hang on, you're saying he went to a kebab shop after the party at <laughs> number ten? <laughs> well, they, they're they're very fond of delivery in number ten. Yeah, uh, they'll probably they probably got a low five guys. Follow the receipts. Follow the receipts. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a bit um, ambitious when uh, Keir Starmer talked about the drinks trolley being wheeled through Downing Street, but in fact there was a load of. Uh, a lot of people went to that the, Tesco Rose, the world's t- tiniest Tesco in Westminster, glorified corridor. Yeah, it's just probably a... where COVID started. That place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, about um, some of the food from that, that I've bought from there before is probably worse than eating a bat as well. Uh, right, uh, let's go back to the House of Commons now. This is the SNP MP Stephen Bonner. Mr Speaker, another week, another scandal for this Prime Minister and his utterly shameless government. For two years, my constituents made sacrifice after sacrifice, spending time away from our loved ones, missing out on important life events. Some paid the ultimate sacrifice while he parted away. Figures released just last night show that 79% of people in Scotland think the Prime Minister should step down. Does the Prime Minister now realise that it's clear to all that while he may not understand how to be socially distant from others, there is no doubt that he is morally distant from the rest of us across these nations. And the best thing he can do now is go. Resign, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I I thank the uh, Honourable Member for the SNP and I I repeat the point that uh, that I made earlier on. I don't think that he should uh, preempt or anticipate uh, the inquiry. It's strange that Boris Johnson didn't didn't wait for Stephen Bonner's question to decide. uh, Oh, go on, fine, now you've asked, I will resign. But how is this remotely sustainable? Every government minister, every day this scandal continues. And it's going to roll on and on and on until we get Sue Gray's report. How is it remotely sustainable in the face of rising political pressure, rising anger, for the answer every government minister gives to every question, every pool interview the Prime Minister does? You can't hide under a rock for the next week, although that's the Chancellor's uh, tactic <laughs> of choice, isn't it? But Richie Sunak is in Ilfaku, we should point out, rather than being how, on the front bench. How on earth is this going to work? <laughs> it's Don't not. ask me. I'm not Jack Doyle, the uh, the under fire uh, uh, director of communications in uh, in Dowdy Street. Um, uh, it's it, so many of you have been sending in uh, comments. There are lots of comments on the on the YouTube channel. It's an extended, especially extended edition of PMQ's Unpacked. You can watch it live on the Times Radio YouTube channel, where lots of you are posting comments. Uh, um, people saying this is all a distraction. Waiting for Tory to stand up and ask about the frogs in a local pond under threat. Uh, somebody says, I don't think Matt Jolly will get his show sponsored by Tesco anytime soon. They're very welcome, but it is a very, very small Tesco. Uh, John says, uh, I think your listeners might welcome a little bit of balance this morning. Well, we played the question about the um, the jobs figures. Well, I think that, 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 there is a degree of balance. Uh, most of the Parliamentary Conservative Party, the Labour Party, the SNP, the Liberal Democrats, uh, everyone in Northern Ireland and Scotland uh, agree that the Prime Minister should resign. <laughs> or, or rather, that's probably an exaggeration about Tory MPs, but there are serious questions about the Prime Minister's leadership. You can't get more balanced than that. And actually, there was that YouGov poll uh, that came out yesterday, overnight, uh, on how uh, should Boris Johnson resign. And it was a huge figure, wasn't it? Was it 70-odd percent thought that Boris Johnson resigned? Uh, 56%. Uh, and... Th- 
significantly a third of Tory voters. Yeah, which is which is which is which not is chunky. But anyway, John, I've read out your message, so that's a bit of balance. <laughs> uh, they just keep coming though. This is the Labour MP Carl Turner. He's not apologised, Mr. Speaker, for breaking the rules and breaking the law. He's sorry because he's been caught. He is bang to rights. So when my constituents were making unimaginable unimaginable decisions. He was hosting a boozy party in Downing Street. So how does he think he can still maintain the one rule for him and another for the rest of us? He cannot and he must resign. Mr. Speaker, I refer to the answer I gave earlier. Uh, <laughs> he's not even bothering to uh, um, uh, give a full answer now. No, and that was a question read at dictation pace. Yeah, by, uh, very good. Uh, Carl Turner, uh, great yeah, for the hats uh, in the press yeah, gallery. Yeah, good for your shorthand. Uh, that that was the Labour MP uh, Carl but Turner. Interesting. He's, he represents uh, John Prescott's old seat in Hull, which is no longer a similar story to. Um, a lot of the northern seats once occupied by New Labour Big Beast, no longer safe. It's a majority, razor thin majority of about a thousand. So, you know, in a microcosm there, in a nutshell, that, that that's the Prime Minister's peril, right? He's handing, uh, you know, uh, hospital passes to his Tory MPs in the Red Wall and giving a reprieve to Labour MPs. The electoral dynamics here are fascinating. OK, they just uh, keep coming. Now. We've got uh, the Conservative MP, Jack Brereton. Brereton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 56 million through the levelling up fund, yeah, 40 yeah, million yeah, yeah, through transforming yeah. cities. This is just some of the investment we've secured for yeah, Stoke on yeah, 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 Would my yeah, yeah. right more friend agree, after decades of neglect, yeah. this Conservative Party is the only party that is levelling up opportunities in Stoke on Trent? Prime Minister. Uh, well, I thank uh, my, my honourable friend. He is a fantastic champion uh, for Stoke-on-Trent. And uh, uh, in addition to all the, uh, all the, all the things that, for, that we are supporting in Stoke-on-Trent, I'm delighted to say that uh, Stoke-on-Trent will become the home to the home office as well. Good, good news for Stoke-on-Trent, Patrick <laughs> McGuire. Uh, well, at least uh, good news for someone this afternoon. It's, inter- <laughs> it's interesting to hear... Tory MPs stick to their whip-written questions, isn't it? It's a reminder that even at the most, uh, you know, points of acute danger, Number 10 does retain that power of patronage. Yeah, uh, but so many other MPs and Cabinet Ministers have been in the situation when they've been out and defended Boris Johnson, not just on this issue, been out and defended him, and then, you know, they've U-turned or they've, they've capitulated or whatever it might be and made them look ridiculous. It's amazing they can still find these people. Exactly. And if you listen to Jack Brereton talking about levelling up, for instance, Labour now have a story to tell about the Prime Minister's character that they can link to the government's domestic policy, which is people in Stoke-on-Trent, you've elected a Tory MP for only the first and second time, or second time, depending on about where in Stoke you live, in your lifetimes. Do you really think the Tories are going to change their spots and... <laughs> become a party of big state investment in uh, this neglected part of the United Kingdom if he can't even level with you on other and stuff. A, and exactly, and going into an election where you can say Boris Johnson is a liar, 
which is what the opposition will be able to say, applies to every, basically any election promise that you might make. Exactly. Interestingly, and I'm not in any way suggesting it's scientific, but there's now a poll on the YouTube channel, the Times Radio YouTube <laughs> channel, uh, asking, is the matter of the Garden Party now settled? Do you want to have a guess how many people say no? Uh, I am going to say 90%. 93% of people so far. So you've got to That's know. a Pyongyang margin, that is. <laughs> uh, go on YouTube, search Times Radio. You can watch Patrick and I as we uh, pick our way through uh, well, an extraordinary uh, edition of PMQs. Uh, we've now got the Labour MP, Chris Bryant. Speaker, so the Prime Minister didn't spot that he was at a social event. <laughs> that, that's the excuse, isn't it? Yeah. Come off it. I mean, how stupid... Does the Prime Minister think the British people are? Yes. The worst of it is he's already managed to completely destroy Allegra Stratton's career. He's tarnished the reputation of Lord Guite. And now he's making fools of every single MP who cheered him earlier. Every single one who goes out on the radio and television to defend this shower of shenanigans. Would it not be absolutely despicable if... In the search for a scapegoat, some junior member of staff ends up losing their job, but he kept his. I'm I'm grateful as ever, Mr Speaker, to uh, the the right honourable gentleman, I think a former member of the Conservative Party, as I I understand it, Uh, but uh, I'm grateful to him for his party party political uh, advice. I don't don't agree with him, uh, Mr Speaker. I've come to this House uh, to uh, make amends, to to explain explain, uh, what happened on May the 20th and to apologise. Uh, but, Mr Speaker, I, I, I really think that, uh, with all humility, I must ask him uh, to, wait, to wait for the result of the inquiry. Oh, well, that's probably enough of Boris Johnson waiting for the inquiry. Um, I thought when he said showers, shower of shenanigans, I thought he was going to say sh- something else. Well, as a former vicar, he's very good at boulderising his speeches, as well as a former <laughs> member of the Tory party. You could tell with that bar, Boris Johnson is getting very annoyed. These attacks are getting under his skin if he's lapsing back into indiscreet. Uh, personal attacks like that. And it, I don't know if Chris Byrne... Well, I know that Chris Byrne is a reader of The Times, but he it was almost an abridged version of Matthew Paris's column in The Times on Saturday where he talked about basically anyone who gets close to Boris Johnson bears the scars of it. It is Allegra Stratton. It is Lord Guite, the uh, ethics advisor, uh, who's got himself into such a knot over the um, uh, the refurbishment of, of Number 10. Cabinet ministers, special advisors, anyone who has any interaction with Boris Johnson ends up worse off as a result. And everybody tells himself, oh, I'll be the one to tame him. I'm uh, a figure of such... Oh, no, he, he winked at me across a room. <laughs> yeah, he, get, he gets me. He, he gets, gets me. me. He but gets but me. The, the point he made about stupidity is a key one. But taking people for fools, i.e. drawing this distinction that yeah. most people say, as Chris Bryant did, come off it as an email saying, bring your own booze. But it's he's denying personal liability for organising the party... And in turn, he hopes that's what Sue Gray will not assign to him. And that's his narrow path to survival in office, if not in power or moral authority. And it's a completely completely different topic, of course. But when Theresa May said nothing has changed, when they clearly dropped a massive policy from their manifesto, that just went to the heart of, what are you talking about? I'm not an idiot. I can mm. see you've dropped something. It's a completely different topic, but it d- did have an impact. Uh, well, I think the, last, the last question in this extra special bumper edition of PMQ's Unpacked, Saved for the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey. Yeah. Mr Speaker, 
Can I join in the tributes to Jack Dromey, an outstanding trade unionist and member of this House? Mr Speaker, after another shameful week for his government, this has been a shameful attempt to apologise uh, to this House today. So can the Prime Minister explain why the only person to resign so far for this scandal is Allegra Stratton, a woman, while he, the man who sanctioned and attended at least one party in 10 Downing Street, still sits in his place? Mr Speaker, advisers advise and ministers decide. So will the Prime Minister, for the good of the country, accept that the party is over and decide to resign? Mr Speaker, I thank him for his uh, question. I respect the, uh, the point that he's making, but I must say I, I disagree. And I would ask him on the on the. Uh, I would ask him to. There wait. we are. To wait the uh, inquiry from Sue Gray. We all know all together now, Patrick. Go <laughs> we certainly do. I thought it's it was quite a cute point made by Davy there in highlighting uh, the mistreatment of Allegra Stratton, if you want to call it that, saying the only person who's carried the can is a woman. We Who know wasn't that... at the party. I mean, she clearly knew about it and joked about it off camera in, with a group of people who may or may not have been at the said cheese and wine party. But she literally laughed about an event she wasn't at, whereas Boris Johnson lied about an event he was at. Yes, exactly. And he, Ed Davey is deliberately highlighting that Boris Johnson uh, has a woman problem, both... Uh, in his personal life, in his professional life, but also uh, uh, he hopes to turn that into a woman problem electorally. We know the Tories poll badly among women, or Boris Johnson personally polls yeah. much worse among women. You know, his his uh, his victory in 2019 was very much uh, fueled by fueled by working class men, among whom he polls yeah. much better. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times. And it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.